This is New England Public Radio's Jazz Beat. I'm Tom Reaney with a podcast edition of my jazz blog, which you can find at nepr.net. I'm speaking today. This is Monday, January 13th. I'm speaking with Champion Fulton, the singer and pianist, who'll be in concert on Saturday night at the Vermont Jazz Center in Brattleboro. And a champion, welcome to New England Public Radio, to Jazz a la Mode. We've known each other for quite a while now, and it's a pleasure to speak with you for the first time for the purposes of, uh, of sharing uh, some of your story with, with our listeners uh, this week at New England Public Radio. Good afternoon. Hi, Tom. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Where are you today, champion? I'm actually in New York City. I'm at home. I have um, a little bit of time at home in January, which has been very nice. Oh, good. Will you be by the Jazz Connect conference this week? I might I might go by, but I will admit that I have really been enjoying being <laughs> at home and <laughs> I haven't gone out very much this new year yet. <laughs> okay. You'll be in Brattleboro on Saturday with your quartet. It's a group that's been together for quite a while. Tell me a little bit about uh, who's on the band. This band has been playing together off and on for more uh, more than 15 years. So it'll be my regular drummer, uh, Fukushi Tainaka. Um, I first met him when he was working with Lou Donaldson. He worked with Lou for 30 years. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, then Hide Tanaka on bass. I met Hide when he was working with Junior Man here mm-hmm. in the city. Mm-hmm. And then my father, Stephen Fulton, on Ubelhorn. Champion, you were born in uh, Norman, Oklahoma in 1985, and um, you seem... Uh to have uh, come by this uh, profession, uh, this passion, this music, almost by birthright. Tell me a little bit about your family background and how early it was that you knew that this music was uh, important to you, not just to others around you. Well, my father, um, who plays flugelhorn, also at that time when I was born, was playing drums as well. And um, he, of course, is a jazz musician. He loves jazz. He wanted me to know about it. And when I was just a baby, um, in fact, even before I was born, my mother and father only played the record Charlie Parker with strings for me oh. because they wanted me to uh, know the most beautiful music in the world, which they considered to be that record. <laughs> nice. Um, and then after that, he slowly introduced uh, Count Basie, Bud Powell, Clark Terry, and I just, I loved the music and when I realized, you know, I could play the piano, I started playing when I was three. Basically, by the time I was in kindergarten, I was convinced that I was going to be a jazz musician. Wow. <laughs> kindergarten. <laughs> yeah, I know. I remember drawing, because, you know, you would draw a picture, you know, mm-hmm. what do you want to be when you grow up? Mm-hmm. And I was always on stage, you know, playing the <laughs> trumpet or playing the piano or singing. You know, it never changed. <laughs> right. You did play trumpet for a while, didn't you? I did, yeah, because my father... and. My father's best friend was Clark Terry, and so, you know, they were always playing, and, and I thought, I want to play, too. And I played trumpet all through high school, and I still play sometimes, but mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. very uh, demanding to have mm-hmm. piano and voice and trumpet, too many things. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me a little bit about your father. Where is he from? Well, actually, he's from Oklahoma. He's from a small town, Atoka. Same place as Reba McIntyre. Mm-hmm. Um, but my parents both, you know, they moved around. They met in Houston, Texas. So we're very much like a Southwest family. Mm-hmm. And um, he first 
met Clark Terry in the early 70s when Clark was giving a workshop at a college in Oklahoma, and he was already, of course, interested in jazz, but I think after meeting Clark, it really supercharged it. Mm-hmm. You know, Champion, I've been telling listeners for decades who Clark Terry is. Why don't you mm-hmm. tell listeners today who Clark Terry is? Well, I grew up I grew up with Clark. He was like my grandfather. Um, he's an extremely important musical figure. He played in the Count Basie band. He played in the Duke Ellington band, more, more famously in the Duke Ellington band. He's from mm-hmm. St. Louis. Uh, and he was one of the first black jazz musicians or musicians at all to be hired um, on NBC. He was in the original Tonight Show band. And I think that gave him a lot of you know, opportunities here in New York. And he's on so many records. I mean, he did so much studio work for Quincy Jones uh, and then, of course, became, you know, a star later on in his career. But some of his favorite, my, some of my favorite recordings of him are with his friend Oscar Peterson. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's very famous for the trumpet and flugelhorn. Mm-hmm, right. And for a sense of humor. Well, that's true. <laughs> yes. <laughs> A beloved figure, I would say, uh, in uh, in the music world, uh, who, mm-hmm. you know, died um, several years ago, but not before he had published a uh, beautiful uh, memoir, um, mm. which is one of the first books I always recommend to people who want to read a jazz narrative of um, of any kind. But Clark's book um, not only tells his story and his background in St. Louis uh, beautifully, vividly. Uh, with humor, but with real depth and seriousness, but also, of course, such telling stories about Basie and Duke Ellington and, and others that are uh, in that book as well. Um, how, so your father met Clark in the early 70s, and your father became mm-hmm. associated with Clark through, because Clark, of course, in addition to The Tonight Show and Basie and Ellington and others, he was famous for uh, doing clinics, master classes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I heard Clark Terry's name, it seemed, as often in relation to those types of gigs as uh, the occasional performances he did in Boston at the Jazz Workshop at places like that. Mm-hmm. So was your father yeah. involved in jazz education too? Well, he became involved in it uh, from Clark, through Clark, because um, at that time, Clark was in the early 70s. He had just started to have some health troubles. He, had, he was having some back troubles, which would plague him for the rest of his life. Um, and as he and Stephen, they just sort of seemed like natural friends, and so Clark would ask him to come and accompany him on these trips. And through that, Stephen became really involved in workshops and clinics, and then Clark and he together opened the Clark Terry Institute of Jazz Studies in the 90s, mm. which was in Iowa, mm-hmm. um, because Clark was very serious about jazz education, and he always wanted to have his own school, um, you know, and so they did that together, and, and through that association, my father became very involved in jazz education. And me, and me too, because I was always there. Once uh-huh. I was born, I went to all these clinics. I must have seen Clark rehearse a thousand big bands. Oh, know? wow. <laughs> uh. <laughs> I yeah. see. I, you went to uh, a study at uh, SUNY Purchase when you uh, uh, chose college. What, made, what, what guided that decision from Oklahoma to, uh, to, to uh, Westchester County? Well, I wanted to move to New York um, just for the jazz history. All the all my heroes were here, are here, mm-hmm. and um, we looked at different schools. I talked to different people, and it seemed to me that Purchase was going to be the best fit for the curriculum. And 
I liked the idea of the campus not being in Manhattan mm-hmm. since I was coming from Oklahoma. That's a bit of a culture shock. <laughs> Um, so I wanted to do that, and I wanted to study with John Faddis. John is the artistic director there, still is, and I wanted to, to get to know him better. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the records that uh, gets mentioned uh, in your story is, uh, is a Dinah Washington album that um, is apparently your favorite. It's certainly my favorite, too, for those mm. in love. Uh, when did you first hear, hear that, and what does that album mean to you? Well, I just fell in love with Dinah. I mean, of course, you know, my father was playing all the singers for me, Billie Holiday, Sarah Vaughan. You know, we listened to everything. Mm -hmm. But Dinah spoke to me, and I loved this record because Clark is on it, so I could talk to him about it. And the arrangements are done by Quincy Jones. It's a fabulous band. I mean, you just can't improve on the rhythm section at all. (laughs) Uh, And it's just a wonderful, I would say almost a perfect, jazz record. And in Di- Dinah, of course, had a, uh, a long uh, a, a career from the mid-40s through the mid-60s, made a mm-hmm. ton of records, lots mm-hmm. of singles, had a lot of hits. I think she was yeah. the queen of the jukeboxes uh, in the 40s and the biggest selling uh, black uh, uh, singer, or uh, however it was defined at the time, uh, the queen of the blues, no less. But um, this record really stands out. There's something that's that's just got that jazz edge to it. Uh, would you agree? Mm-hmm. I absolutely agree. I think it's the musicians chosen. And I think, you know, a lot of those records she was doing, like you said, the singles and the hits were more crossover, pop sort of things, blues, you know. And, and I think this is what she really loved to do was just, you know, more in the style of, of her heroes of Billie Holiday, sing jazz songs with a jazz band. Mm-hmm. And, uh, of course, who doesn't like that rhythm section? Jimmy Cobb, Wynton Kelly, and I think it's Keter Betts on bass. Keter Betts and Barry Gilbreth on guitar, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm. Do you have a favorite on this record? I do. I think I told you a couple. I love My Old Flame, which is a great, beautiful ballad version. And then also I love This Can't Be Loved, if something more swinging is desired. Uh-huh. <laughs> Talking about the Dinah Washington album for those in love and this favorite, My Old Flame. thoughts go flashing back again to my old flame my old flame my new lovers all seem so tame but I haven't met a gent that's Dinah Washington singing My Old Flame from the uh, album For Those in Love. Dinah recorded that for Verve Records back in 1955. And as uh, our guest champion Fulton has noted, the arrangements are by Quincy Jones. And it's just a fabulous band, including her uh, uh, family friend Clark Terry on trumpet. They were the great Dinah Washington, My Old Flame. Champion, uh, a few years ago you recorded um, an album. Uh, 2016 was the year of its uh, release called After Dark. And uh, I understand that's a tribute to Dinah Washington. 
It is. I I wanted to, you know, of course, so many of my favorite songs are from her records because I love her music so much. And I wanted to do, um, to play those songs and sort of make a record like the one we were talking about for those in love, jazz record. And, um, but I, I'm always a little bit hesitant to to make it a, a tribute record, but it, it is a tribute record, even though it doesn't say it on the cover. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm curious to, by the uh, opening title on this, the great Fats Waller, Andy Razzev song, mm. Ain't Misbehavin', uh, is, that a, is that a tune that's been in your repertoire for a while? I think Ain't Misbehaving certainly has been. Uh, that's a song, so Clark Perry had a list of songs that all jazz musicians should know. He was a huge Fats Waller fan, as am I. Mm-hmm. Certainly this song is on that list, and I have known it for a long time. Um, it's a very, I think, uh, it, it doesn't get the uh, respect I think it, it deserves artistically. It's a very difficult song, I think, and very complex and uh, harmonically, melodically, very adult, as we say. Mm-hmm. Um, but I love that song. I'm glad that we made that the opening track. Would you like to say something a little bit more about what uh, what you find difficult or challenging about Ain't Misbehaving? I think, in general, when you talk about Fats Waller's music, it's so much about the rhythm, but it's also songs that are written by a composer who predates, you know, sort of the codification of the music. So he can choose to go, um, he goes more aurally than maybe uh, academically, mm-hmm. of course. Um, and on the bridge, I think it's just a very interesting thing to improvise over and sound intelligent, <laughs> which he, which Fats does so effortless, effortlessly. Um, but I think his songs are very creative. Mm. Interesting. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking about the uh, Louis Armstrong recording of this that goes back to 1929, I think. Yeah. Um, magnificent uh, performance by by Louis. It's one of my top ten of his. And uh, mm. if I recall correctly, the bridge has a... Does it have a brief violin uh, a break in it? I'm uh, sorry to say I don't remember. <laughs> uh, okay. Yeah. Well, um, uh, I'm just thinking about how beautifully uh, Louis Armstrong and company... Uh, uh, arranged uh, that night uh, because that was uh, the recorded performance that kind of brought that song uh, over. Uh, Armstrong recorded three or four Fats Waller tunes in that year because he was in a show called mm-hmm. Hot Chocolates of 1929, yeah. which featured a number of those tunes. But anyway, uh, Champion, uh, let's listen to uh, a few choruses of your recording here of um, Ain't Misbehavin'. <laughs> to walk with all by myself no one to talk with but I'm happy on the shelf ain't misbehaving saving all my love for you I know for certain the one I love I'm through with flirting, it's just you I'm thinking of, ain't misbehaving, saving all my love for you. 
That's our guest champion Fulton, her performance of Ain't Misbehavin' from the album she released a few years ago on Gut String Records. It's called After Dark, a kind of informal uh, tribute to the great Dinah Washington. Champion, uh, you uh, grew up in Oklahoma. Uh, you had the family connection with uh, Clark Terry. Uh, you came to a study at SUNY Purchase. When would you say your career began? That's always a, a difficult you know, thing necessarily to pinpoint. For me, it, it began in Oklahoma because we were working there while I was in high school uh, three or four nights a week. I had a steady gig at, and it was a cigar bar, but it was basically because we were there so often and then other people were there. It became a jazz club in town mm. in Oklahoma City. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that's I think that's when my career began because that's when we I started to have a steady band. And when you're working consistently like that every night, then you start to be able to grow and also, of course, start to encounter also, you know, the problems of of working every night. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, But I think if you're talking about more in New York City, I would say I moved here in 2003, and when I graduated college in 06, I began working at Birdland uh, regularly, first with my own duo during happy hour, and then I began singing with David Berger's Jazz Orchestra. Every Tuesday night we did the the main show at 8 and 10 back then. And um, I think that was my first, you know, really good gigs in New York. Mm-hmm. And you recorded with David Berger and uh, the band he calls the Sultans of Swing um, mm-hmm. back in 2007. I, I, David is a great expert in Duke Ellington's music, Ellington and Strayhorn's, uh, Billy Strayhorn's music. Um, uh, and I, you know, when I first got this album, I anticipated a kind of Ellington songbook uh, session, but mm. but it's not that a- at all, really. Um, so you were uh, 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 deep in the uh, in the songbook, as it were, uh, with David Berger, uh, "Romance mm-hmm. in the Dark," just one of those things. He ain't got rhythm uh, tunes. I uh, just those alone. I think of Billie Holiday, among others, uh, singing those songs. Um, how did you connect with David, and and is that an association that still uh, is in play at times? I I do still see David. We haven't worked together in a very long time. Mm. Um, I love big band, you know, the big band music, and because I I love you know I love jazz. I don't, and I think if you love the legacy of this music and the tradition, of course, you love Ellington, you love Basie, you love those records you know, all those great, even studio bands that made all those great records with the singers. And um, I was always interested in doing that, and it's a rare thing to get to do. There's not that many working bands. And I just met David by chance, because I had some friends who were at Juilliard studying with him, and I went to see his band a couple times, and it just happened that he was looking for a new singer for the band. Mm. Um, And I sort of you know, pushed in, basically. <laughs> <laughs> That's how it went. 
Well, it's a nice album, and I, and I, and I know it got attention. I remember Francis Davis writing about it in The Village Voice uh, when it was released and hailing you as the best uh, a new singer he had heard in some time. Um, I also noticed uh, Mark Stryker, who writes uh, about jazz for uh, the Detroit Free Press, called you the best pure jazz singer on the scene. Um, what do you think right. of in, in terms of, uh, of, an, of an expression like that, pure jazz? Well, I think, I hate to say that I know what he meant, but I interpreted it as um, these days so many people my age, you know, have influences and love outside of, you know, the canon of mm-hmm. jazz. Um, whereas by some bizarre happenstance, me, I don't. I mean, I, I grew up being influenced only by Dinah Washington and Billie Holiday and having a, a direct influence, you know, from my relationship with Clark Terry. And then when I moved to town, you know, I be, I wanted to sort of continue that, and I became friends with Frank West. I became friends with Lou Donaldson. So I feel like that's what he means, mm-hmm. that it's, that's the purity he speaks of, I think. Yeah, I, I, I would agree, and, and I, I hear that too, and... And I smile when I think of just what a refreshing um, uh, uh, kind of um, renewal uh, you bring to that uh, that classic or pure tradition uh, of the music. And while you learn from records, uh, listen to a lot of records, Dinah and Billy and Ella and others, did you study with a vocal teacher at all? I did study vocal techniques when I was living in Oklahoma. We were very fortunate at the university there. We had the great Thomas Carey. Um, who's an opera singer. Hmm. Um, He was American, but he did a lot of his career in the UK and London. And he was teaching there. He had been teaching there also with his wife, who I didn't know, unfortunately. But I started taking, like, breathing and vocal technique lessons with him while I was in middle school and high school. And I think, you know, apart from that, also learning about breathing from Clark and my father... I would say are the um, the vocal training I've had. Mm-hmm. So, what did you uh, when you were at Purchase uh, SUNY Purchase? Um, mm-hmm. uh, what were you focused on there? Well, I was a jazz piano performance major. Mm-hmm. I didn't do any singing at all, really. Um, when I went to school for mm-hmm. a few years, I really wanted to focus. I really wanted to focus on the piano. And um, I was so lucky at that school. It was so easy to find practice rooms. And uh, I spent a lot of time transcribing, playing along to records, um, you know, getting a band together, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Did you have a, a pianist or, or piano players uh, there at Purchase who were uh, teachers or particular uh, uh, mentors or guides for you? Well, I, I went at that time to um, the entire piano faculty as a teacher, but I would say my favorite lessons and where I learned the most was uh, the few, I think a few semesters where I did private lessons with John Faddis. Oh, John Faddis. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The trumpeter. Yes. Yeah. He plays trumpet. Yeah. Um, yeah. Digital Gillespie's protege. Sure. And uh, mm-hmm. I, that was, that was fun because we would listen to records. We would talk about records. We did, um, James P. Johnson transcriptions, Errol Garner transcriptions. You know, that's when I was really getting into 
Carol Garner and then getting into Stride sort of from mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. And um, Tadis was interested in those things. And I think, like me, in that he is obsessed with, you know, with the music. And so we would talk about records and talk about our ideas about the records, you know, for, for hours. Mm-hmm. And it was, um, I think those were my favorite classes or lessons at school. Mm-hmm. Um, I know when I first heard you, and I think the first time we met, I mentioned Errol Garner right away. I could just hear mm-hmm. something in your touch, uh, uh, and, um, uh, and I, I think the touch is what comes to mind as much as anything. Uh, mm. Your attack, as it were, just has that strength and um, uh, direct uh, uh, energy and, and, and feeling that I associate with Errol Garner. But um, as I recall, you responded, uh, yeah, man, Errol Garner for sure. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, that sounds like me. Um, no, I, I love Errol. I think, you know, the percussiveness of the piano, the way he yeah. uses mm-hmm. the instrument, mm-hmm. is, I think, sort of missing a little bit in a lot of the quote-unquote jazz piano we hear today. Mm-hmm. You know, We seem to have kept all the uh, elegant <laughs> aspects of, of jazz piano playing and missed out on some more of the human parts. And I think you hear that in Errol Garner. Also, you hear a lot of that in Jay McShann. I love Jay McShann. Jay McShann, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because also from Oklahoma. And um, I think, you know, you hear that percussiveness, the rhythm, and the way they are expressive on the, on the keyboard. You know, someone, you said it perfectly there, the percussive uh, sound of Errol, and I was searching for words, but that really uh, says it uh, best. And um, uh, just a few days ago, someone was talking to me about listening to the Money Jungle album that Duke Ellington made with... Charles mm-hmm. Mingus and Max Roach, and talking about the intensity of that. And I said, well, that's a record that really illustrates the fact that the piano is really an instrument of 88 tuned drums. And, mm-hmm. and uh, your Errol, of course, had that kind of strong um, uh, percussive uh, attack as well. So around 2006, you graduated from Purchase. So let's say you've been pursuing a full-time career in the music for close to 15 years now. Um, first of all, how's it going? What's it like, what's it like today <laughs> trying to just carve out a life and a living and a livelihood uh, uh, playing the music? Well, it's going, um, it's going great, actually. I've been, I've been so lucky. I think, you know, to have my band and to have a lot of really wonderful musical experiences. I've been playing with Scott Hamilton in Europe for the past couple of years. Um, I tour a lot. I go to Europe. Uh, we've gone to Asia. I go to Canada. We've played in Morocco a couple of times. I even did a um, tour of Israel. And, of course, we tour here in the States. And um, I love I love it. It's a lot of work, you know. I mean, I spend a lot of time on the phone and on the computer and talking to people and trying to, uh, you know, keep the band working, as it were. Um, but I think I'm very happy. Do you manage your career? I do. do My you... father and I do. Yeah. And you, you um, do your own bookings? I do, you know, a lot of them. Yeah. So I have um, an agent in Europe, and she does a lot there and connects me with other people. If, if it's something she can't handle or doesn't have time to, she might say, oh, this festival in Scotland, mm-hmm. you know, 
they they're interested, and then I, you know I might take it over. Um, and that's been, you know, that's a lot. That's a lot of work. But I'm very lucky. My father knows all about that. So, you know, contracts and riders and everything is just really more a matter of staying organized with what's going on, mm-hmm. um, in sort of like a secretarial or administrative way, which is not very exciting or fun sounding. But um, I think you know we do we do pretty well with it, and I don't find it to be a burden. Mm-hmm. Do you like the road? I love the road. <laughs> yes. What do you love about it? Well, what's, what's I, best? I love playing, you know, really. And I think on the road you can play every night in, or, you know, every whatever, mm-hmm. relatively every night in a different town with new people in a new environment. And so you sort of feel constantly creatively fresh. Um, and apart from that, I just love traveling. I love seeing different parts of the world and trying new cuisines and meeting new people and hearing new languages. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I really like it. And I don't mind the um, sort of taxing nature of it. I, I don't feel, you know, bothered by that. Mm-hmm. Do you do any shopping for clothes on the road? Well, I used to spend a lot of money shopping for clothes on the road, but I, I've tried to, uh, I've tried to cut back. I'm, um, I, I use Rent the Runway. I don't know if any, if everyone knows what what that is, but rent, um, rent the Runway. Rent the Runway. It is a, I've so I basically rent um, designer and uh, couture clothing to travel with, mm. and I can mail it back. To, it's through the through the mail. So wow. We send it back and forth. Yeah, that sounds great. That's, that sounds ideal <laughs> for uh, for a career like yours and a clothes horse like you. Um, I know, I love yeah, clothes. A, a fashion plates. Huh? <laughs> yeah. um, Scott Hamilton, uh, you mentioned uh, uh, performing with him in Europe. You've made a beautiful uh, album together. I hope that's the first of, uh, of, of, uh, of a few or several. But um, um, how did you uh, connect with Scott? Who put that together? Well, I think in in Europe, um, I think it was Marina, my agent. Mm-hmm. You know, she thought, oh, this would be, you know, Scott's working all the time. You're working all the time. We do a lot of the same venues. Why don't we, you know, do something together? And the first gig we did, I think, was in 2017, maybe. In It was in Spain. And um, I remember we met, we had lunch, and we made that record immediately. Wow. So, and it was the beginning of a tour, but for whatever reason, the recording was done on the first day, and then we did the rest of the tour. Sounds like and, we've been um, working for years together at that point. <laughs> oh, that's, well, I think we all, you know, Scott and I love the same records, mm-hmm. um, and we have the same birthday. I don't know, that's kind of a an interesting trivia. We're both born on September 12th, and we just became, we became uh, friends. Right away, and in fact, we have a new record coming out together later this year in 2020. Nice. Well, from the uh, the first of the uh, records that you've made, um, uh, how about we listen to this uh, beautiful song by Ray Noble? This is Scott Hamilton with Champion Fulton, The Very Thought of You. The very 
Champion Fulton with the tenor saxophonist Scott Hamilton performing The Very Thought of You, the album they recorded in Spain a couple of years ago. Champion tells us that there's a forthcoming album, but Champion, how about a few words about that song? Uh, Ray Noble composed the words and music uh, as he did Cherokee and and uh, some other great standards. Uh, why did you choose The Very Thought of You? I have always loved that song. Um, I think one of my favorite versions is Joe Williams singing it, Joe Sings the Verse, which is fantastic. Mm. And um, I just love the melody and the, the chord changes. And I remember when I was learning it, this was many years ago, I found the great Hank Jones solo piano version. And Hank has a beautiful solo piano uh, sort of arrangement that he does, and it's in the key of D. And I saw Hank here in New York, and I told him, you know, I've been listening to this record, I've been listening to your version. You know, the key of D, in my mind, is like very difficult and sort of why would you play it in D on the piano? It lays funny. Mm. And uh, I, to- I asked him, I said, you know, I think my record's in the wrong, running on, you know, on the wrong speed <laughs> said, because it's in D. And he was like, no, I play it in D. <laughs> and I said, why? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Hank just, and he lo- I remember he looked up at me and he said, why not? <laughs> and I thought, oh, okay. <laughs> and do you play it in D? No, I'm sorry to say that version that you heard there is an E flat. E flat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good story, anyway. Yeah, oh, beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> There are uh, you have such a, a great taste in tunes, uh, an obvious respect for uh, the tunes. Um, what is it like to approach uh, these great songs um, and improvise on them? Well, I you know I play tunes that I love to listen to. So um, a lot of these songs, you know, we're talking about. I play because I heard, you know, this record or that record. I heard somebody do it in person. And so you always sort of start out with that in mind, you know, maybe the version you heard or the way it made you feel or things like that. Um, and then I, I don't know, I think a tune is like, you know, having a, a song that you like to play is sort of like having a relationship with another person. You know, you love them, sometimes you like them, sometimes you don't like them, sometimes you wish they would be different. <laughs> <laughs> and the longer you spend, you know, with a song, the the deeper, I think, and more complex your feelings and ideas about it can become. Hmm. Would you say that you're a kind of, um, you know, I remember this expression used about Louis Armstrong, a compulsive imp- improviser. Do you hmm. sing the very thought of you differently every time out, or do you have a kind of uh, working arrangement with tunes that you stick by? I would say I I love that phrase, compulsive improviser. I think I I don't have I do not sing it the same way every time. Um, there will be some spots maybe that I 
like to sing similarly, and um, but I like to change the tempos or, you know, even sometimes the keys, depending on how I'm feeling. Um, that being said, of course, it, within the context of the band, we do have arrangements sure. mm-hmm. that we would play every time. Um, although even then, sometimes I'll tell the guys, let's just play it, no arrangement, you know, because mm-hmm. you want sort of a to freshen it up a little bit, you know, and you don't want to get too much into a routine mm-hmm. or a rut mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. your music. Yeah. And we're focusing a lot on uh, on your singing, uh, but uh, you are a pianist, uh, a superb pianist. I remember, um, I don't know if you recall this, but I attended uh, your recording session for um, Sharp Nine back in, I think it was 2012, out at Systems mm-hmm. 2. And uh, and I love that Mark, uh, I think it was Mark Edelman who produced the album, um, asked you to play, uh, well, you played Celia, Bud Powell's uh, mm, beautiful right, uh, yeah. original. And uh, is that the only time that you've... Actually, I think I know the answer to this already. It's not the only <laughs> tune you've played without singing on records, but um, no. uh, but it was such a treat, and it still is. I, I, I play it uh, uh, here and there um, uh, still in the show to hear you playing, um, you know, just as like a piano trio leader. Mm-hmm. No, we have um, usually... I do remember that, by the way. Of course, I remember you being there in the studio, and that was a really fun recording date. Um, the record, uh, Sings and Swings. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But uh, mm-hmm. normally, you know, on each record, I like to put a couple um, piano trio things or instrumental things. And in fact, in 2017, we also released just a piano trio record called Speechless, which is oh, yes, um, of course. Yeah. all mm-hmm. my original songs. Right. So I haven't done one with standards, but I would love to. Um, I love piano trio format. I mean, I love playing piano. I love not, um, I love singing, but I also love not singing. Mm. And I always find it's kind of a hard balance because if I, if I play a gig or if we make a record that's really heavy on one or the other, definitely some listeners always want more of the one that's not there. (laughs) So I have people who are like, oh, like, can you play this? You know, my favorite is the piano and not the singing. And then other people who say, oh, my favorite is the singing and not the piano. So it's always kind of, um, I never know. <laughs> and I never know my own favorite either, so it just depends. <laughs> well, speaking of instrumental, though, uh, you do, um, on your uh, recent release with the saxophonist Corey Weeds called Dream a Little, have a composition of your own called Lullaby for Art. Um, and I know you've recorded this before as well, but um, uh, it's a real, it's beautiful and a, and a highlight of an album that's got an awful lot of highlights in it, Champion. But who, uh, who's art? And, uh, and just tell us a little bit about the inspiration for this song before we hear a little of it uh, right now. Well, this song was first recorded on Speechless, um, and it is a drum feature in, when I wrote it, mm-hmm. uh, because the art in question is Art Blakey, who is really one of my favorite drummers and I love the messengers, but I also love, you know, a lot of his other sideman work. And I thought of him with this tune, with the send off and the, you know, the send off to the drums and um, the hits and things. And when I made this record with Corey, Corey was really, he loved that song. And so we were playing it and then he said, let's make it, you know, let's record it on the duo record. 
And I was like, but it's a drum feature. <laughs> you know, and, and Corey um, was like, no, 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 we'll do it anyway. We'll do it anyway. And I think it works really well in the duo setting, but it is a tribute to our Blakey. Mm-hmm. Well, it does work indeed. And I'm going to thank you, Champion, for uh, speaking with us today and uh, and uh, wish you uh, a nice uh, visit to New England uh, this weekend when you play the Vermont Jazz Center. Uh, many uh, many of you will be listening to this conversation after uh, Champion's uh, performance on Saturday night. But, of course, Champion Fulton makes her way um, uh, around New England and around the world uh, routinely. So, if you miss Saturday's uh, gig in Brattleboro, let's hope there's another opportunity soon. And um, uh, thanks again for speaking with us today. Thank you, Tom. All right. And here's Champion Fulton with Corey Weed's Lullaby for Art. One, two, uh, uh. <laughs> 